What's up, friends and followers of War Media? This is Kyle Means. I want to put y'all up on something real cool, and that's involving our friends at TixBlitz.com, where they got all types of great offers for seats and uh, on events of all kinds. Uh, they hooked us up with a promo code that is the promo code WAR, W-A-R-R. You use that and you can save 5% off all purchases at TixBlitz.com or on the TixBlitz app. That's promo code WAR, W-A-R-R, for 5% off on great seats to all events. TixBlitz provides the same great seats as other resellers, but with no service fees. None at all, y'all. I'm telling you, this is the hookup, man. We putting you on. All right. So hook so uh, support us, our friends at TixBlitz.com and never pay service fees again. That once again, TixBlitz.com, TixBlitz app available everywhere, y'all. All right, what it is, what it is, good people. Running with War Show, a second edition for this playoff week. Giving it to you with overtime coverage, because uh, of course you know it's that time of year. The big men are bringing it, uh, bringing it uh, to another level on the NBA. So we got to do the same here with War Media. You see me, Kyle Means here. Gabriel Wilkins alongside me starting off again with the two-man coverage. But we're going to have some more people coming on uh, later on the show. Josh Buckhalter, a writer, going to be uh, making his debut with us, his, his first run. And uh, also Drew, our man Drew Stevens should be returning to the show. It's indeed playoff time uh, about midway through. Uh, but uh, yeah, we 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 doing it doing it live with the uh, a couple a set of games going on right now. About uh, one game just tipping off: Utah and Dallas. Uh, Minnesota jumped out to a pretty nice lead uh, against Memphis in that game three. To, that's uh, going on in the second. I think it's reached the second half now. Minnesota is still up. Yeah, in the third quarter, midway through, and. Um, of course, uh, Phoenix will be uh, playing later. Oh, excuse me, the Warriors will be playing later with the Nuggets. Uh, Nuggets bringing this, that series back home to Denver, but they're in desperate need of you know, some sort of a pick-me-up from those first two games. They got wore out in those first two games in San Francisco. But, uh, Gabe, man, as I bring you in, man, 
you know, we was we were starting to get off a, a little conversation just before we went live talking about the injuries. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about that over the show. A lot of injuries, a lot of uh, potential of effects affecting, uh, you know, players being out, affecting series and stuff, uh, you know, but probably the biggest one so far has been Luka Doncic and uh, his not playing for Dallas in their series against Utah. But, you know, Dallas has risen to the occasion uh, for the most part, uh, splitting this, splitting their first two games at home in Dallas against the Jazz the series, back, taking it to Salt Lake City tonight. But it's still not a, a certain thing about, you know, it, it's not a thing where Dallas necessarily feels like they have to rush Luka back. You know, you know, Gabe, you know, explain, explain that, uh, you know, uh, explain that, that side of things. Well, I mean, it's, it's still early in the series. And the fact that they avoided going down 0-2 um, on Monday night was big. You know, Jalen Brunson stepping up with 41 points and um, – Massey Kleber, you know, coming off the bench and some big time threes. It kind of gave them some buying time, in my opinion, with Luca. And uh, going into game three, you know, of course, he's not playing tonight. That game is set to tip off uh, shortly. He's not going to be out there tonight. But what we were talking about, like, if, if the Mavs are able to, you know, get off to a good start um, in, in front of a raucous and rowdy crowd in Salt Lake City, as we know it'll be, um, and put themselves in a chance. Um, you know, in a position rather to uh, go up two one, then they really playing with house money at that at this point. You know, if they want it, yeah, you know, they could really um, take more precaution with Luca and take a little bit more time. You know, when it comes to getting him ramped up um, in regards to when and which point they want to bring him back. You know, I think if they go down tonight, um, game four is going to put a lot of pressure on. Luca and that medical staff and that training staff over there to have him right come Saturday afternoon to take the Florence Salt Lake City down 2 1 because you don't want to go back to the crib down three games to one, um, playing for your playoff life in game five. So I think if they take care of business tonight in a game that I think will be close as the first two were, then it could get very, very interesting. And they could kind of, you know, Jason Kidd and those guys and his coaching staff, they can, and the medical staff, they can really, you know, have a little bit of um, leeway in regards to how they want to play that situation with Luke. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's interesting, man. You mentioned how the series looks like it's gonna it's destined to play out pretty close each game, and and play out over, you know, most of it, most of the available games, if not all the available games. But, uh, you know, it seems like most of the series that we've had uh, have been like that in the, in the, so far, even the one, even a couple that have gone 2-0, you know, and, and you look at pressure, you talk about the exertion of pressure of returning a person uh, uh, in Dallas, a star that they, that they need, but may not need as much as they expected going into the series. It's a different level of pressure being exerted there. But you can look at a series like Boston and, and Brooklyn and see where there's an increasing level of pressure being put on now by Boston onto Brooklyn. And they 
seem to be really in need of some reserves and uh, namely being uh, the returning Ben Simmons, uh, you know, making his, you no, know, actually making his debut for the Nets. We still haven't seen the play as a net since that, since that big trade a couple months ago. And, uh, but the the reports will come out that there's a possibility that that could happen in not in game three, which is the next game, but game four uh, in Brooklyn, which could be an elimination game. Uh, you know, it could uh, you know could be the last game of the year for Brooklyn. Uh, but they like I said, the situation is sort of the opposite that as it is right now with Dallas, where we talk about. They could think over some things. They're they're playing in uh, competitively against Utah, but you know things have been sliding for Brooklyn. As and they they lost by one in Game One, but they played a much weaker game yesterday in Game Two, and uh, you know you know from Durant's bad shooting to Kyrie. You know, needing a banana to to break the fast, and then he wasn't really uh, putting in any work. You know, that as he as he did on Sunday for in Game One, he just was a, a, a you know, shadow of himself in that game. Re- they really didn't put it together in any way as a team. That defense of Boston was hounding them all night. You know, uh, what do you think about that situation? You know, whether it compared you know on its own or compared to Dallas. Totally, two totally different situations, uh, Cal. You know what I mean? With, with Dallas, you know, and, and, of course, the situation with Dallas can change, too. You know, by the end of the night, they might be like, well, hey, we got to have Luka back and we need you now come Saturday. But with, with Brooklyn, you know, you need Ben Simmons now. Um, down 2-0. And everybody, you know, gives credit to the Celtics defense. I give them a lot of credit. You know, they, they send in two and three bodies on Durant each and every time, whether he's on ball, off the ball, they're very active. Guys got their hands up. They contesting shots. I, I can't even recall, and somebody brought this up on Twitter in a tweet I saw uh, last night. They said, I never seen Durant ever shot block. And we done seen it twice in the first two games with Jason Tatum, you know, using his size and length to contest Durant. And, you know, usually when Durant is shooting over guys, you know, it's like shooting over a chair for him. You know, like they can't even get within his face because um, right. he's so tall and the way he's able to raise up, you know, so quick with his uh, beautiful release. But um, I think yesterday, even in spite of KD's and Kyrie's struggle, um, they had a shot to win that game, man. Like they was up double digits. You know, Goran Dragic was playing some great basketball off the bench for them. Uh, Bruce Brown was contributing, you know, on both ends of the floor for them. My problem with the Nets right now is that, like, Steve Nash hasn't made any adjustments. You know, and in the playoffs, you know, you got you to gotta tinker and find ways to utilize certain guys. And when you got an Andre Drummond out there who is talented as he is and has been throughout his career not rebounding, and that's what you bought him to Brooklyn to do, and he's not – um, being a serviceable rim protector and he's getting in and out of foul trouble. Like you're only playing him in Claxton. Like I, I have questions as to why is Blake Griffin isn't getting minutes in this series. Why mm-hmm. isn't LaMarcus Aldridge getting minutes in this series when LaMarcus Aldridge during the regular season has some big time performances against Boston. And even though he's not the best defensive player, 
he gives you an added element on the offensive end. But Ben is sorely needed. Um, they need Ben for his defense alone. And, and, and Ben could really take a lot of pressure off of Kyrie having to initiate the offense and so forth and allow Kyrie to do what he does best and playing off the ball. But I don't even think they looked at Kyrie's way enough last night in the fourth quarter. Everything was so geared towards Durant um, within Steve Nash's offense to the point where it was a lot of times Kyrie didn't get any touches. And, and that's a problem. And, and, and if I'm Kyrie, I, I'm, I'm going to Nash and I'm telling him over these next couple of days, look, man, we I, I got to get some touches, especially late, you know, down the stretch. I showed you what I could do in game one. With my touches, you you know why I'm here. Like, at some point, he, he has to get touches. And they have to get Durant going off the ball. They're going to have to start getting a lot of screens and flares and, and setting up pin downs for him because it's too much pressure that Boston's defense is putting on these guys. And, and I think they have a lot of mismatches, the Celtics, um, that they've been exploiting um, on Brooklyn and doing a great job of. And that's made a, a big difference in this, in this series thus far. Yeah, it was seen, you know, given given your given the diagnosis of the offense that, you know, what what we often hear with with Brooklyn is that they they don't do much in the ways of sets, you know, for the offense. They pretty much just go with the flow. Yep. The shots, you know, shot distribution isn't very consistent. You know, you know, Kyrie gets a lot of shots. But he he may get more. He may get double the shots of Durant on a given night, or you may have a night like Game Two, where there's sort of an overcorrection and Durant gets more shots, even when he's not hitting. But they're trying so hard to get him into the game and to get him to do the things that they that they feel he normally does that he normally does. Yeah, but he just didn't have it yesterday, so. You know, for whatever reason, like you said, they didn't correct that by letting Kyrie get a, you know get off enough, or anybody else get any chances enough to sort of get them out of that their second half funk. And uh, Boston just kept uh, used it to their advantage. But you know, I I'm with you, man. As far as you know, uh, Nash goes, I don't know if he's gonna be the guy to to really make the most of that unit as it is now or no real in those stars the way that he, even though he is, he was a star, he is a star and, and all that. He just, I don't think the coaching experience or acumen isn't there for him to allow him to really let this team maximize this team and his talent in such heady situations as a playoffs. Not, I just really think they're at a disadvantage on their bench right now with uh, him at the head. Absolutely. Uh, Udoka is out coaching him right yeah. now in every single way. And, 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 and he's being exposed and his medals being tested. And, and he has to find a way to respond to that because if he doesn't, um, it's going to be a long offseason in Brooklyn and he's going to be facing a lot of uncertainty about his job. You know, I don't think Steve Nash's job is safe at this point in time two games in the playoffs you know you're only playing a nine-man rotation right now and you have a ben simmons set to return but then this is the thing that's crazy too you're playing durant over 40 minutes each and every night and mm. it's 
point, you got to be able to spot him. And that's where Ben comes in for them, and he's going to be a key component because maybe he'll allow him to get a little breather here and there. But I'm cons- I'm at the point with the next one. I'm concerned about whether or not Durant will even be able to last, you know, up until game five, even if, you know, they were able to um, find a way to win the next two games in Brooklyn because he's playing so many minutes. And I don't see that changing, especially with their backs uh, up against the wall going home down two games to none. Like it's that's why missed opportunities in the playoffs, like what you saw on Sunday when they had the game, you know, in balance, and then last night losing a, a, a double digit lead late um, in the midst of a Celtics rally. That's tough. You know, we're gonna really find out a lot of a lot of um, answers to questions that we have about Steve Nash and this group. And he's got he's got to try something different in Game Three. Like Blake Griffin, if I'm not mistaken, was like among the league leaders in charges taken per game. At least Blake gives you some defense. Yeah, he's undersized, but he gives you some girth. They don't even really have that right now. Defensively, is is the Nets um, biggest? Like that's my biggest concern with the Nets, and I think everybody's biggest concern who's been watching. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, we gonna uh, bring it bring it out a little more with the uh, with our playoff conversation and bring in a guest. Of, like I said, a first time guest here on running. Uh, man, man contributes to a lot of websites, including uh, Fan Sighted, uh, Atlanta Hawks website, and Heavy.com. He writes for the Bulls there. A uh, great follow on Twitter and a podcaster. And uh, all sorts of good things, my man Josh Buckhalter. Man, what's what, what's up with you, man? We appreciate you making time for us and adding to our playoff coverage. First off, thank you for having me, man. I, I greatly appreciate even uh, the invite and uh, not much, you know, just loving these games. This is an exciting playoffs already. We're only in the first round. Yes, indeed, man. Yes, indeed. We were talking uh, about the, uh, no, specifically about the. Uh, you know Brooklyn Boston series right now, but like I said, you cover, you know, you you pretty entrenched with Atlanta and the Hawks uh, through the fan side of website soaring down south, and of course Atlanta is in the playoffs still. Uh, the other day, we, uh, you know, we had a nice little discussion about uh, you know about the Hawks and about Trey Young and sort of some perceived disrespect towards Trey Young, you know, uh, Gabe and I got Josh went in on that. And, uh, you know, I'd like to get your opinion on that. But, you know, the 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 thing is, you know, whether or not you're a pro Trey or if you feel he's he's lived up to, to whatever potential or whatever or gone beyond it, you know, Atlanta has had a bit of a bumpy ride still. Even though know, they had the highs of last year going into – the uh, you know the, the Eastern Conference Finals unexpectedly, but this year they sort of fell back a bit through a lot of the season. They fought to get through, get into the playoffs through the play-in game, and uh, you know really I thought you know, I told you on Twitter, man, I thought they were really a dangerous team, uh, you know, going through this whole process at the moment, but uh, you know seemed to come to a halt again against Miami. Uh, Miami seemed to really uh, you know. Uh, solved them to a degree. Uh, you know, what's your thoughts though on how things have gone? Two zero uh, advantage for Miami going into Game Three tomorrow in 
Atlanta? Uh, it's a daunting task, to say the least. They are down, like you said, down 0-2. And craziest stat of – there's been 435 occurrences of a team going up 2-0. 7, 31.1%, 31 times the team that's down 0-2 has actually come back to win. So they don't have very good odds of coming back in this series. That mm-hmm. right there puts a fear into me. Secondly, it's what Miami has done to trade that's been repeatable both games, right, the, the disrupting what he wants to do. And that's neutralized the Hawks largely, and that's the part that I think should be most concerning, even more than the, than the 0-2 record, because if that blueprint is so simple and you're struggling to find ways around it now, obviously there's two more games at least, so they can still figure it out. But to this point, they've not been able to find a way to uh, get him to get going. Um, I've heard a few suggestions on how they could do that. But as of right now, nothing seemed to work. And Miami's just throwing body after body after body at him on switches. Um, I was listening to the uh, pull-up podcast, Duncan, Duncan Robinson's podcast. And his co-host was talking about how, you know, Trey is, is in, a, in prison right now because he, you know, they run the pick and roll. Hawks are one of the top pick and roll teams, but Miami can switch everything. And so mm-hmm. when you have that, there's not many mismatches for Trey to attack. And that's, that's problematic. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, do you where do you think the potential lies for Atlanta to get, you know, because, you know, you get you get one game in this you get series, you get that that crowd down there in Atlanta going, uh, you know, they you know, say they pull it out tomorrow. It looks a bit different. But if Miami beats them down again tomorrow, that's pretty much a wrap for them. I mean, how do you what do you think the key is going to be tomorrow for Atlanta to you know, pretty much get a must win and keep their, uh, you know, regain some sort of momentum. I think you kind of nailed it. They are a team that's been reliant on that home crowd this season. Uh, one of the top records in the, at least in the Eastern Conference uh, at home, they fly, they really stumble on the road, which is kind of maybe not expected, but what, what we saw against Miami was par for the course really this entire season. So going back home, I expect them to have a better effort. Uh, what really hurts them is not having Clint Capella healthy. That right there is, is a major factor because that's their defensive anchor. And with John Collins not 100%, that is Trey Young's pick-and-roll partner. And so without him on the, on the floor, you lose size, you lose some strength, you lose rebounding, you lose defense. That's a lot for a team that was already living on a razor-thin margin. And so um, I, I expect them to have a better effort at home. It's a daunting task, and I think the only way they're going to do it, they got to they got to hit their shots. They're going to have to outshoot Miami in this series because they're not going to be able to slow them down. Miami plays bully ball. The Hawks are not built to stop bully ball. So, in the absence of that, you got to shoot them out the gym. And you know what? You, you know, we we were talking about injuries. Uh, you know, before you came on, we were talking about Luka Doncic. We talking uh, how that affects, of course, that series Dallas and Utah. The you know impending arrival, I guess, of Ben Simmons. Uh, you know, yeah, I guess you could put that in the injury category, but uh, you know, him not being available and you know, potentially being available, how that could affect the Brooklyn, I guess um, the Brooklyn Boston series. Now, with Collins, he's he's pretty much he's not gonna be available, right? No, Collins played, he, he started at yeah, center, yeah, the, the first oh. two games of the series. He, he came back, he came back, uh, in game All one, in game one, and then started right. at center and for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll go. Excuse me. Well, he's not. He's not a hundred percent. No, he's not a hundred percent. He's uh reportedly, according to Chris Kirshner of the Athletic, is still having trouble gripping the ball. So his shooting's not even is where it's supposed to be. He's uh he's abandoned the splint that he's supposed to wear. Uh, but yeah. the the original prognosis on his on his finger was that it needed rest to fully heal, and anything short of fully healing on that rest is he's just not going to heal right. So he's going to be banged up as long as he's playing with it. Okay. Do you think he's pressing a bit, or is it is it just is he that 
critical to their success that he has to be out there? Uh, they need his energy. They need the the emotional up you know, the up, emotional uplift that he brings them. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I was talking about with Clint Capella, you know the the, the role partner for Trey Young. They missed John Collins catching lives on people. I know it sounds kind of you know bush league, but they miss him putting people on t-shirts. Like they, they need that kind of the Hawks are an uh, us against the world team. And so without somebody to kind of get that spirit up, you're left with Trey. And like we just talked about, when you can take Trey out of the game, they become neutralized. So they need him as much as it as it it's probably hurting him to go through it all, like physically, uh, they need him out there. And I think he knows that's why he's there. So I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that hundred percent, Josh. Uh, watching a lot of Atlanta games on league pass. You know, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the John the Baptist moniker and stuff and everything. You know, he was definitely putting guys on posters. And I agree with you when you talk about Capella being a big loss for um, the Hawks. Like, as you alluded to, when you talk about how the Hawks are one of the top pick and roll teams and Trey being a pick and roll savant, having that lob threat um, that Clint is and has been, you know, throughout his entire career dating back to Houston with James Harden when I was covering him, you know, with the Rockets and whatnot. So I'm, I'm very familiar with Clint. That, that's a huge loss. Um, and a guy that I think would have been a, a stifling presence um, against Miami in, in the interior as a rim protector as well defensively. They, they they lose him big time. And I think the loss of Capella is what propelled Collins to come back because without him, what size do you have? Yeah. You, know, they, you know, they didn't really have any choice um, but to bring John Collins back, in my opinion, and get whatever they can out of him. They've tried to uh, platoon this, this, the position somewhat. Uh, Anyeka Congo comes in. He's still okay. learning, though, and you see those yeah. lashes sometimes. He has the explosion, and you see all the flashes of what he can be. Then you're reminded, oh, this is still a second-year player sometimes. Yeah. Too. <laughs> um, and then behind him, you have Gorgie Jang, who, listen, uh, <laughs> their broadcast team loves to call him the flamethrower, the, the bomber, right, because he just comes in. When he comes in, it's usually cleanup time, and he's he's plucking threes. That clearly means you don't want him in starting for any more than, than garbage time. So they're really thin. <laughs> In terms of big bodies behind Clint Capella, um, and Collins is not ideal there, but that just lets you know, like you said, what the situation is that they have him starting at center, not uh, less than one hundred percent. Yeah, but you, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how, how things go with Atlanta. We'll, you know, looking at that side of the bracket, you know, we of course we, we've hopping over the Eastern Conference series. We're gonna get into the Bulls, of course, and the Bucks. Uh, trying, I'm trying to hold off for Drew to come on for that, but uh, you know, while we're on that side of the bracket with the one eight matchup, you also have the four five who is uh expected to win the winner of that will you know face the winner of the one eight. Uh, you know, that's that looking that's looking like it's gonna be Philly right now. You know, they go up 3 0, you get the big shot from from Embiid, you know. Uh, at, the, at the end, and you know, he gets to talk to Drake while he, while he walks off the court and everything. But, uh, you know, he, it's, you know, a lot of people, you know, that sort of poetic justice thing, making, making mention of that, of, you know, when he was up there a couple years ago and, and uh, Kyrie got him, you know, crying out. He was, he was walking off the stage crying then, but today he was, uh, you know, uh, talking stuff. But yeah, it's a big moment for, for Philly. They are in position to win that series. You know, what do we think about the way that they started off the playoffs and, you know, how much of a threat they could be, you know, for anybody in the East going forward? You know, if if Embiid is going to keep his level of play up the way it is and they could get the some of the, the 
contribution that they can from guys like Maxi and whatnot. You know, got to feel that you know seventy six is going to have a lot to say about uh, about what's happening in the East before it's setting up. You totally do. Um, Embiid has finally figured himself out, right? Uh, I think we all kind of wanted him to take it a little bit more serious, and he's and not even just be more serious in, in terms of his personality, but just go out there and dominate like we clearly know that you can, and that's what we've seen him do. Um, Toronto doesn't have anything that can match up with him; like they're not even close. That they, they their their best ability is their switch ability, and he's switch proof. Like there's nothing you can there's no you're not switching anybody on him that wasn't already on him to make it better. So um, I think that in the NBA. The, the old motto is the best player usually wins in the seven game series. That's what we're seeing here. And it's not going to take seven games. Um, Toronto has had a, a good rebuilding effort after uh, post Kawhi, but they're still missing that superstar player to take them over the top. Maybe they have the guy that just hasn't developed yet. Um, I like Van Vliet. He's not, he's not a superstar, but I really like Van Vliet. Um, Scotty Barnes has got a lot of potential as a rookie, still a young guy though. Pascal yeah. is good for what they don't have a Joel Embiid. And so, that's the difference, and you're seeing that play out. Hey, Gabe, you got any thoughts on this, on how that series played out? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think Toronto put together a valiant effort, but as Josh alluded to, you know, when you don't have um, a guy that can stop Joel Embiid and the guy who is one of the best in the business when it comes to attacking double teams, um, you know, he gets to his movements very quick. You know, he's very quick with his decision-making, and he knows what he wants to do. Um, I think Philly last night, you know, they had some struggles offensively, but they were able to work through it. Um, I give credit to Tobias Harris as well, who has stepped up and passed some big time performances despite struggling initially um, following the Harden trade. He's found his stride um, and been a, a nice third option uh, for the for the Sixers. And James Harden has really been locked in. And even though he hasn't put up the numbers that we've seen him put up in playoffs past. Having a guy like Maxi has taken so much pressure off of him to where now all he needs to do is just get six to eight points a quarter and just initiate the offense and making sure you know that he's keeping turnovers at a minimum and whatnot. But Joel Embiid is definitely showing um, the rest of the country why he's one of the top players in the game and a guy that um, why so many people rather thought he was MVP during the regular season. Um, that was a big time shot that he hit last night. And I, I said it to you, remember, Cal, a couple weeks ago in this series, even though I thought Toronto would be a tough matchup prior to injuries to Scotty Barnes and whatnot, if Joel and B came out and put up 30 and 10 each and every night, then Philly was going to be in good shape. He's done that the, through the first three games. And as you see, you know, they're on the verge of a sweep. Yeah. And, and you know, it's tough because. Toronto had for a time they were looking like they were gonna be a, a little bit of a dangerous team. And you know, the Bulls had, you know, this did such a dive in the second half. People were like, you know, well maybe we should play into that three seed or what, you know, try to uh, you know, we try to avoid that four seed, you know, but it's it looks like it's gonna be the other way around now, you know, where the Bulls uh gonna be giving the you know Milwaukee a ride and you know, maybe it's a matchup thing because you know, I, I don't know if they would have even played as well against Philly, you know, given the results that were there in the in the regular season, because well, he he did he did his thing against the Bulls. He continues to do his thing against the Bulls. But, you know, of course Milwaukee has their own monster. 
and the Bulls were able to, you know, offset his what what Giannis offered in in both of the really both of the games, but especially in game two, you have the the issue now of Middleton being out, you know, for an extended period of time because the MCL, maybe for the rest of this series, uh, at, in you know, just really. I, I, I heard it put pretty well. I, I forgot who said it, but earlier today is not maybe not so much what the Bulls are doing against the Bucks so much as the what the Bulls are doing for themselves, which is things that we haven't seen them do in quite a while. You know, on defense, especially effort-wise, being able to you know get you know get to the ball and. You know, over over give you no know, overcome 50-50 opportunities and stuff like that, rebound better, all types of just seemingly effort things. I think that we've really seen a lack of in the past couple months for the Bulls. They they they're starting to snap back into it again. And um, you know, we got a this will be a big game three coming up here on Friday, coming back to Chicago, playoff action here in Chicago for the first time in five years again. People are expecting a big crowd at the UC, an energetic crowd. You know, could this be the time for the Bulls to take control of this series? And is it is it is it right there for them? If it's absolutely. not now, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, the, the the time to strike is now. You know, it's your first playoff home game in five years, and you got a big win last night, and they did everything that. You know, we called them out on in part one of this uh, playoffs popping series, Cal. You know, like they 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 hit three point shots last night. They got enough far. I think they shot forty eight percent from three. They kept the margins on the glass close. They were up for most of the game in the rebounding margin. They were minus one, but they kept that close. And then most importantly, when they got turnovers, they pushed it out in transition. They got running, and that's what allowed them to get off to a nine and zero start. You know, to to set the tone last night. And led by Caruso and, and, and Levine and those guys, and DeRozan, you know, was a star among stars, hitting tough mid-range jump shot after mid-range jumper. I really like the two-man game that him and Booch had going within the pick and roll and in the pick and pop in the fourth quarter because what that allowed them to do was get Giannis outside of the paint and force Giannis to play DeMar straight up and, and move his feet and got him out in space and attack him. You know, and and it pay, it paid dividends for them. I thought they were the, the more aggressive team, but they they can't they have to remain even keel of going into game three because when you got Giannis over there, who's the best player in the series, you can't take him lightly, even with a, a Chris Middleton that's down and more than likely won't be back in this series, as they're saying that it's going to be a two week um, recovery for him wow. and, and during the process. So, you, but th- this is the time to strike. You know, they have a golden opportunity. Milwaukee, I think since the first quarter of game one, has really been relatively flat for the most part as a unit. Chris Middleton was starting to get it together last night in that third quarter. But once he went down, you know, it was an opening. Now you got Portis, you know, with his eye issue, saying that he was seeing double. You got a wounded team, even though they're defending world champion. If This is this is the perfect opportunity for you to Bulls. You one of the best home teams in the league, too, yeah. you know. You got a strike right now. It, it, you mentioned you mentioned nine on runs. That was another nine on run at the beginning of the fourth quarter. 
Right. That was probably even the, as more important than that first quarter run because you know that was coming off of you know pretty much in response to Milwaukee tightening the lead up in, in the towards the end of the third, and that you know that was a time where I think a lot of Bulls fans was like, "Oh man, here we go." But you know the Bulls really showed themselves to respond well to Milwaukee's impending runs in the in the second half of the game, and you know uh, they made the shots so many shots that they didn't make in game one. They made in game two, starting with Demar, starting with uh, with Vooch, and uh, it was a, it was a great moment for that team. And we'll see how they can carry on with it if they can uh, keep up with with the momentum. Uh, at home, you know, you know, Josh, you know, I said, like I said, you write uh, on the Bulls too for heavy, so you've been keeping up with the team. You know, you're in, you're based in Chicago, so you know, you follow the Bulls all the time as well. You know, what do you think about? You know, we haven't had you on this year. What do you think about the uh, how this team has progressed throughout the year, its ups and its downs, and you know, what you know, what do you think? the experience that they've had as a team throughout this season, what do you think it says for their possibilities in this series? This season has been great for the bulls. I think the way that it unfolded might've been a little bit unfortunate. Um, But I think Billy Donovan has been telling you the entire time uh, that the trials and tribulations that they went through in the second half, he was hoping that they went through earlier so that they would be hardened by the time they got to this point. He um, I, I, that's the truest thing ever, because they, it came so fast and so easily for them in the beginning. Right. They just got in the jail and everything was clicking and the offense was firing. The defense was ferocious and everybody was like, oh, this is the best team in the league. And they were the top seed. And then things got tough. And there were signs like he's it, it's crazy how consistent he's been with that message the entire season. So now we get to the postseason and our biggest concern with him wasn't necessarily talent as much as it was them shooting themselves in the foot. And like you said, they've helped themselves out more than they've necessarily done anything different to Milwaukee. That focus, that level of intensity that they've, that they've had was not there for the bulk of the second half of the season. It just yeah. wasn't. And what did he want to call it? Flipping a switch. They want to prove people, whatever the case may be, they have turned it on and they are locked in from the first buzzer to the final buzzer. And it's beautiful. As far as going forward with Middleton out of there, I saw a stat this morning on get up. Um, they go from like 83 and 30 something with everybody healthy. Milwaukee does to like 25 and 22 without one of them, just missing one of the guys. They don't miss a lot of time, but when they do, it disrupts a lot. So I think the number specifically with, with, without Middleton is bad when, when yeah. they, they, they don't win they with when he's going. Yeah. And when you look at that, how do you not, if you're the bulls, how do you not feel like, okay, like I said, this is the time that you strike. You know what I mean? You have to take advantage. And my favorite part about it, I think, is that they sounded the same after the loss as they did after the win. Like, they just yeah. were even. Next game. That's a good point. Next game. You heard DeMar talking about we're not going to miss those shots again. He was right. <laughs> he was he was dead on. And then some. Caruso after this that, game. That's, Josh, that's, that's something that, you know, not to interrupt, but that's something that I've been worried about with the team is their mental fragility potentially. Yeah. And you no, know, are they strong enough to maintain, you know, getting knocked down and getting, you know, the runs that are bound to happen in the playoffs? You no, know, you know, sometimes you're gonna be on top and feeling good, and that next quarter you could be feeling, you know, lower than low because you, you know, you're not getting any any stops and you know you're turning the ball over and whatnot. Like they've maintained 
themselves well throughout the uh, the ebbs and flows of each game, both game one and game two. And, you know, they pretty much zone. Like I say they kept in the zone and done the, and uh, focused in the way that we have, like you said, we haven't seen them in quite a while. I think when Lonzo went down, they talk about what they missed with him. And everybody was talking about was talking about the defense, and I was like, "Well, they really miss him is on offense, and not even just because of his ability, his individual ability, but it's settling everybody down when things are going awry and getting people the ball where they want it, so they can get an easier shot. We've seen them get the ball in the same spots, but they're not getting it at the right moment in the right pocket, and it's coming off wrong. Vooch complained about it a while back. Like, what they didn't have was steadiness. They didn't like we're just talking about. And so now whatever the case is, I don't, I'm not even trying to dig too deep because I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> like as long <laughs> as they found it, maintain this and they can play with anybody. Anything can happen, especially when you catch a team losing its second best player. Now, like Caruso said, they're going to come out, you know, human nature, human nature is to come out feeling like you're cornered. So the mm-hmm. bulls got to be ready for a punch in the mouth when they, uh, from the opening tip on Friday, but they know what they can do against this team. They know that their process worked. Even in the loss, the process was working. They just couldn't hit the shots. So they've got to have ultimate confidence right now. And I don't know. I, I you have to give them a chance. You have to. Yeah, and 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 like Gay mentioned, one of the better uh, home teams in the league this year. So that gives you, you know, it, for, it, it gives fans reason to feel, you know, confident. But you know, hopefully, hopefully, it's not another, uh, you know, fifteen season with Brian. You know, he holds them off just enough. You know, hopefully, hopefully Giannis don't don't do a second similar thing like that. They all talk about Brown with the sunglasses come back from three one. I had flashbacks of him hunting down D Rose and making D Rose yeah. like miserable in closing moments. So yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, it, it's that was that was a tough one, but you know, it's it was it's interesting too because that's and again that's the season when the Bulls and the Bucks last fought. Uh, in the playoffs, and that was you know very early Giannis, very early Middleton. First playoff run, yeah, and that so was they first were, playoff run together. Yeah, so it was it was sort of I was wondering if it was going to be a reverse of of this series coming into it. It was would it be a reverse of that situation? But the Bulls again have stood. They 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 have a chance to make it much more competitive than that series was. If you remember, the Bulls won those first three games. They they give up the the two games like one on the last second shot, the the you know four four and five before they just wiped them off the map in game six and the famous, you know though they still hold it to it you know they they still very proud of uh, Dunleavy getting knocked into the stands by by a young Giannis you know when he was still a little wild, you know that was wild Giannis back then. <laughs> <laughs> but, they just called him the alphabet. <laughs> yeah, that you know that. They 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 still hold some pride to that, but yeah, it wasn't Bucks and Six. It was Bucks and Six, but they were getting knocked out. But uh, a lot has changed then, and uh, but we'll see how much uh, by the end of this series. You know, uh, they are a champion team. They can't you can't take that away from them. But this is not an ideal situation for them. And uh, you know, the Bulls, if they if they want to, if they are the team that they thought they were back in December. They make they may have a chance to uh, to strike and, and do something memorable in this series, and um, you know as, as we take it over to the west side uh, for the remainder of the show, uh, the, the, tonight is a, a all Western Conference playoffs slate. Um, I got Memphis and Minnesota in front of me right now. Memphis 
was down this whole game, and they've just come back and take the lead uh, recently. But, uh, you know, Minnesota's still giving them a lot of fight. You know, what, what are our thoughts on this Minnesota team? They, Of course, they took that game one very impressively, couldn't uh, maintain it in game two. Uh, you know, Memphis struck, struck back. But we got a very competitive game three here. You know, was this a nightmare matchup for Memphis? Did y'all see that coming at all? I don't think it was a uh, no. I, th- I thought it was. I, no, I thought I thought not necessarily a nightmare matchup, but I thought it was a, a polar polar opposite matchup. You got a gritty team versus a, t- a skilled team, and I think that's where the intrigue for me was initially. And it's playing. It's like you said, it's playing out. It's a very competitive game three right now. So I I, I didn't necessarily see them uh, blowing them out like they did in game two, right? But I definitely saw this being more competitive just because it's it's really two different differing styles, even though. Uh, Memphis wants you to believe that they're more skilled than they kind of are, and Minnesota wants you to believe they're tougher than they actually are. So I, I, I love the battle of the two teams. Mm. Yeah, this is a game. It is very fun. Like I, I, you know, I admire the Memphis team, I, and I really like the Minnesota team. I like. I hate that one of them going to have to be eliminated in this series, but you know, I'm glad that they're both playing each other well in both. You know, uh, showing showcasing their abilities right now is it's, it's pretty good. You know, it shows that uh, we talked about this a little bit on Tuesday that a changing of the guard is is in effect here for a lot of you, a lot of new individuals who can be, uh, you know, who are establishing themselves in the playoffs this season. And uh, you no, know, same can be said for some teams in Memphis and Minnesota, maybe two of the best examples of that. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I mean, those are two of the top young and fun to watch teams in the Western Conference right now. I think Minnesota is still learning how to win as a group. I think Memphis is a group that's made strides. Uh, as we've seen, this is John's third year. First two years, you get to the playing game. Last year, you you worked your way from the playing round to the AFC. You win a playoff game, and even though you get bounced in five by Utah – you bounce back from that, and now you put yourself up among the upper echelon teams in the West. And that's why a lot of people were interested in this series, to see how would Memphis respond being one of the hunted teams, even though they're a young team in the West, um, against a team like Minnesota that's very young and upbeat, has a lot of uh, young stars, and, and Cap being an established one, with Anthony Edwards being a rising one, and D'Lo, who's been a, a former All-Star as well. I mean, I, I, I thought that this was always going to be a very, very interesting series. I never saw it as like a um, a trap series per se. But then again, in any given moment during the playoffs, anything can happen. So, yeah, I mean, Minnesota, they, they have a chance. But I just need to see more consistency from Minnesota defensively. Um, that, That's always been my issue with Minnesota. When Minnesota's hitting threes, they're a tough team to beat. But when Minnesota's not and that defense isn't where it needs to be, they tend to shrug. And you, you say that just after uh, Edwards misses a three-pointer. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it's looking a little shaky for Minnesota right now. They, they're playing D, though. That's nice, nice strip there by Vanderbilt. But, you know, they, they're a tough team. They're a much tougher team than I think a lot of people exp- uh, expected them to be. But uh, – you know, we'll see how the rest of this game, you know, closes out. But you know, looking at the rest of the well, the action that's going on right now, Dallas is up 
on Utah. And again, that goes back to what we at the beginning of the of the show gave, like, you know, <laughs> Dallas may be able to chill with Luca throughout the weekend here. So that could be a very nice uh, you know, benefit there for the Mavericks, you know, going forward. You know, Josh, what, what, what do you think about uh, that situation for Dallas? It's, it's getting spooky for Utah. Um, they they tried to come out and downplay the severity of that loss in game two. Um, and was it game two? Game one. They kept yeah, the severity yeah. of the loss. <laughs> and, uh, and I think we all knew they were kind of, you know, lying to themselves because we knew what the, what the reality was. Like, it shouldn't have been that close. You shouldn't be struggling with this team without – Luka Doncic and yet and still here you are and so um we know that there are there are rumors about Quinn Snyder rumors about Rudy Gobert rumors about Donovan Mitchell I think this is a very tenuous situation for the Jazz and we can see a very different looking Jazz team on the court next season yeah that's that's one of those things that uh, everybody's getting on that now it's like man I don't think this Utah team is working man we got to see see uh have to do some dispersal there of talent but uh, yeah, it, it's, I, I, it's it's interesting with Dallas, man. The way they've done a good job building themselves around this this player who, you know, again, you know, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I would love for you to go back and watch Tuesday's show because and see how Gabe and and you know, Gabe, yeah, y'all get a little emotional there, man, about about <laughs> I about Trey, man. But I I want to I want to do this right quick, you know, again, because because Josh, you've been following the Hawks for a while. Like, what do you think about the after effects, you know, putting in context of the trade that happened between Dallas and, uh, and Atlanta a few years ago in the draft for, you know, they switched spots. They, you know, Atlanta had that Luca Dallas had Trey, but a lot of people have questioned Trey more throughout his progress then they have Luca. There's more of a, a potential with Luca has been more of a potential anointing every year, you know, in regards to like MVP and stuff like this, you know, expecting him to carry Dallas uh, to a certain level to, of success. Whereas with Trey, everything has been sort of a surprise in that line. Uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that in particular? And, you know, I, I you know, we, it's, it was seen that Atlanta is definitely, accepting of the trade and, and the way it's played out. They have their franchise guy. I, I, this, I pretty much said this on Tuesday. Like Both teams have their franchise guy. Nobody got fleeced in that trade. You know, no, there wasn't one-sided at all. They just switched franchise players. And, you know, Atlanta has their guy. They, they may have a little tougher road at the moment, but we don't know if either, either guy is going to bring either franchise to salvation. But as it is right now, they both had an impact on their cities and on their franchises. And, you know, just, you know, want to get your opinion from your point of view as a guy who's followed Atlanta and what's that meant for Atlanta and for Trey. I agree with you that uh, I don't think either team lost that trade. They both got their cornerstone that they were looking for. Um, I, I will tell you that the fan base is not as settled on the debate even to this day. Uh, and as to your point about it's always something, you know, trying to anoint somebody other than Trey, it's LaMelo Ball now. It's, that's been the morning, the talk show topic for the last week or so is that mm-hmm. it's, it's LaMelo. Even, even with what's going on, it's LaMelo. And, and even though I say that I don't think either team lost, if we really want to parse it out, 
one of these guys was two uh, two wins away from going to the conference or to the the finals. Oh, one, the other guy hasn't been out of the first round. So yep. if we want to talk about it. Let's talk about it. Like we can we can discuss how oh well Luca's team is better this season. Yeah, they've improved that team a lot this year. The Hawks stood pat, which I thought was a mistake at the time, and we see that they've kind of paid for that. You know, with injuries striking and, and inconsistency throughout the season. But one guy. <laughs> And and we've we talked about was the center of the offense, just like Luca was in past seasons, got his team two wins away against the eventual champs, no less. It wasn't just against the team that lost. He went up against the team, the team with the the champion and the the finals MVP. Like, let's talk about it. If we really want to go there, we can go there. I think both teams won, but one guy has already done something that the other guy's only hoping it can only dream about at this point. That's right, and and I wonder like it's is is interesting too to see the guys do it to a certain degree without him. You know, Luca's gonna, you know, I wonder if I wonder there's gonna be one of those things where he's gonna be like, well, maybe you know, maybe I should get out there before the end of this series, you know, just so I can help pinch, you know, clinch it off or something. But winning's always better. Winning's yeah, always yeah, yeah. It's that's the smarter way to do it. But your know, pride can be pride can be a trick. Pride's the devil. Yeah, so he's gonna, yeah, come, back. Yeah, yeah. He's gonna yeah. come back in this series. Uh I, I have no doubt about that. But I agree with you, Josh. You know, you spot on, and that's what me and, and Josh Hitch was talking about on part one of this series about how Trey got to the Eastern Conference Finals and how Luca in his first two playoff appearances has yet to get out of round one. And you think about the way in which he lost last year to be up two games to none and go back to Dallas, you know, with a two game lead and was playing with house money and lose both of those games. And then you have a chance to go back game six with a three, two lead. You don't close. And then you lose in seven back to back times to the Clippers. And Trey got to the Eastern conference finals in his first playoff run, no home court advantage behind enemy lines. Not only, standing toe-to-toe with Giannis, but taking down a guy like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons in the Sixers, you know, and they own backyard in Philadelphia. He he didn't get enough credit for that, in my opinion. And and I agree with you, Josh. Like, I I really – I thought even in spite of Atlanta not doing anything to upgrade their roster significantly, I thought because of the run they went on last year that they could have possibly be top five in the Eastern Conference coming into this season with the way that Trey was playing, as long as they had stayed healthy, you know, I, I thought that they had a, a, a shot at that. Now, granted, they didn't live up to it, but then you think about the way in which he performed in the play-in. You know, in Cleveland, Trey Young is, is basically like this generation's Reggie Miller. You know, behind enemy lines, I don't think it's too many young guys that's 25 or under that you wouldn't want to go and, and lead your team like he do. And he not like he ain't afraid of any moment. Yeah, he's not afraid of the moment. Who doesn't they run from it? Uh, <laughs> they've talked about how the reason why he hasn't been as effective in this series because the Miami crowd is not paying him attention. <laughs> he's <laughs> yeah. Miami crowd don't get there till the third quarter. So. Right, yeah. right. And by then it's already over. Um, they the, like you said, he went into Philadelphia, went to Madison Square Garden. Right, the crowd waved bye bye. Had them, they still to this day are cussing him out at random moments. <laughs> like, yeah. like he's created enemies. Oh, yeah. You could you could get an F Trey Young chant oh, going yeah. in New York like that. Like, they got a going down at the Yankees game on opening day. I've been there. Like, <laughs> so 
Uh, yeah, man, I like Luca, but let's not play around. Like Trey is that dude, and honestly, if you want to keep doubting him, okay. I think the big thing is Atlanta needs to take a page out of Dallas's book and build out that roster a little bit more. They started to, they got some good. I love Bodanovich off the bench. They just got to do a little bit more and get them some more pieces, and and they'll be right where they need to be. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, you know, so we start to wrap up. You know, we got the two, the two remaining series we haven't touched on. In, in the West, of course, you got the, you know, I say uh, you got the uh, Golden State Nuggets tonight, uh, still to tip off in, in a moment, uh, matter of minutes. But, uh, you know, that's looking a little bit, you know, uh, geared, geared for the Warriors. Of course, you know, Jordan Poole standing out and, you know, the young talent, the, the way that they've rebuilt themselves is just really impressive. And they're looking even no, it, uh, uh, no, for, for for various reasons, there was a reason to maybe think a little less of them as a Western Conference uh, champion, uh, potentially, uh, in the second half of the year. But now you got injury issues for Phoenix, and you got really no other team in the West looking as, you know, as certified as them, as, as well-contained as them right now. You know what, you know, what do you think about the outlook at, at the moment, given that, you know, Phoenix should – Phoenix taking the loss, of course, uh, in the last game against New Orleans, you know, are, are they in, in any potential danger now without uh, without Booker for the, the foreseeable future? I think so. Go ahead, yeah. I, I think so. I, I think if, if DeAndre Aiden – is not heavily involved in the game plan tomorrow night, and Chris Paul isn't seeking to find ways to get him going. Um, yeah, it, it, it could get it could get ugly. He didn't get enough touches in my mind in game two. I know Booker was hot, but I think he may have only like took about six or seven shots uh, in game two. DeAndre, Ayton. so they got to get him involved, and I think that they still have more depth all around than the Pelicans do. But anytime you remove a guy that's a walking 20, 25, night in, night out from your lineup, as Phoenix has been all year long, um, that's going to be tough. I think they definitely got to find a way to salvage a split in New Orleans just to go back home in game five with some momentum. Uh, But one thing about Phoenix, when you got Chris Paul, the conductor that he is, finding guys, and Jay Crowder hitting big-time shots, and Mikael Bridges, then they can have a chance. But one thing you got to think about, Willie Green was a former Suns assistant last year. He knows that team inside and out. Mm. That's not the best matchup to have when you lose one of your top guys. And you got a guy on the opposite end who knows your personnel and has coached your personnel and has played with some of your personnel. So that's that's something to think about. Um and, and one thing about the Pelicans, like Brandon Ingram and CJ, they're not ducking and running from nobody either. Um, Brandon Ingram showed that in the fourth quarter. And Larry Nance has been impressive on the on the glass. They, they got to – things got to come with in game three. And they got to punch him in the mouth from the beginning of the um, opening tip in the first quarter tomorrow night. They, they got to come with it. Hey, Josh, you got – Yeah, I totally agree. No, it, this is um, – Phoenix is probably still the better team. But losing a guy like Booker is a blow more to your morale, if not to just to your your on the court product. So um, New Orleans is, is if they come out and they feel like they can seize this moment, 
yeah, they definitely could punch him in the mouth. And CJ is a guy who's hit big shots in the past. Brandon Ingram is a guy who's got all the talent in the world. If he if he if it's finally clicked for him, then you know, all right then. Without uh without having Booker out there, like you said, he had 30 at halftime. <laughs> like he was, yeah. he was he was sizzling them dudes. Like it wasn't even it wasn't even close. And without him, man, that's a big blow. That's a lot you're trying to disperse upon, um, uh, amongst guys who you know aren't equipped to do it. Now, it's not going to be one guy, but if you can't get it from one guy, that weakens a lot of other areas as well. So uh, it's it's not uh, as big of a blow as it would be to some teams because Phoenix, like you said, uh, is is deep. But this is still a, a blow nonetheless. Yeah. yeah uh, things closing up in Minnesota, Memphis, uh, like pretty much – I played Minnesota the rest of the way in the fourth quarter. Uh, they went 104-95, so they're leading the series now for the first time, 2-1. I would think, you know, you think maybe things are stabilizing there. And, um, you know, them, like I say, them being the second seed, you got, you know, them bound to play uh, the 3-6 winner in the next round. And, you know, we talked, like I said, go to state, looking like a strong number three right now. But, you know, are we expecting just them to run the rest run the rest of the way through? Could we see a sweep of, of them uh, against Denver or, or, or what? You know, <laughs> game you say, yeah? Yeah, I think, I think that series is a wrap. Yeah. I think that series is a wrap. I've I, I watched the first two games, and I, I, I kid you not, like after the first six minutes of the fourth quarter, I'm typically just switching. <laughs> I'm paying attention to the post game talk because this Denver man without Murray and Porter, they don't have enough. And Jokic man is coming out of these games and they putting him to work in the pick and roll and and, and they making him work like he he gassed. Mm. He it's tired. Not, man. It's not just the pick and roll either. It's the small yeah. ball that that yeah. that yeah. is working yeah. out. My yeah. man, they he's getting they head on him. It's, it's like not, they're straight up headhunting them, man. Like and, and they and they going to work and in Golden State, man. It's just scary. Like anytime you able to just bring a Steph Curry off your bench as a six man, and he's willingly accepting this role. That's like, why he's not complaining, <laughs> he's not fussing about it, and he's putting up 30. You know, it, it's Golden State is for, for a three seed, man. They they getting hot at the right time. They got off to a hot start. Kind of had you know a, a, a little rough stretch with the injuries and whatnot, but now, man, yeah, I, I don't think Denver stands much of a chance. You know, they they probably got one more good game left. They they like tonight. I can see them having a little run early if Monty Morris, you know, can continue to play the way he did in game two early. But I still don't think that's gonna be enough. Jokic put up all the. I still don't think it's gonna be enough. I, I think Golden State has that in the sweep. Um, this Memphis Minnesota series. I still think it's a lot of more um, intriguing basketball left in that one, even though Memphis is up 2-1, and that was a big win tonight for Memphis on the road. You know, they've proven yeah. that they deserve to be among the upper echelon teams in the West. But Minnesota going to come back a little bit harder, but that, that goes to state the series now. I think that's a wrap. But if, so but given, that, given that belief, if you're Memphis, are you like – well, I guess you don't want to take your focus off of the opponent, definitely. But mm-hmm. you, you – I mean – you got you may have, you you may not want it to go six or seven if you can help it. <laughs> if, you don't want that if, if Golden State is breezing like they are, you know. Yeah, you got you already got some uh, PTSD from the last time y'all met up, so you don't you don't want to uh, have to 
to go through that again, it takes a lot out of you. If nothing else, going up against that Warriors team is going to drain you going forward. Man. And so even if you've beaten them, you know what it takes physically. And and while we just talked about Memphis is a grittier team than they are the skill. They can shoot you out the gym too every now and again, but they don't do it like Golden State. So like it just it's just a different uh, a different sort of style that even that you see for most teams in the playoffs. Most teams are trying to get you in the half court and, and slow you down. Golden State is r- making you run still. They're still out here getting in transition. They're still finding three wide open three point shooters off of movement off the ball. And it's it's the regular season still in the postseason when things are supposed to slow down. They just said no. Go. It's I, I totally agree. They look like uh not a juggernaut, you know, because we haven't seen them win anything substantial yet. But man, they got the makings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, the, tonight will be key. So we'll we'll see if if, if Denver has any sort of response in them. Uh, they got to get going right away if they if they want to have any impact on that series. But uh, yeah, that was. Guys, I really appreciate that, man. That was a good, you know, run across the league and everything. Uh, I'll be able to get get some more good stuff in uh, this week with another Josh uh, joining me and Gabe. <laughs> but uh, we we gonna we gonna start to wrap up. I wanna I want to touch on uh, another interesting line of stories that are coming out, not through the college game, but affecting to the pro game before we sign off. You know, you got a, a number of uh, big-time players in the college game, uh, you know, making their decisions now in regards to, you know, uh, you know, going, uh, staying in school or committing, you know, getting a, an agent and committing to go into the, the draft and everything. And I think three players. It was originally two players who I was thinking about, but today uh, another player made their decision in Chet Holmgren, and uh, that, that made a lot of news because – you know, he's the primitive number one for a lot of people in the draft coming up. But uh, the two players who I had uh, noted before today was, uh, you know, Illinois' Kofi Kingston, uh, Kofi Kingston, Kofi Colbert. <laughs> I watched wrestling too. But, uh, <laughs> Kofi Colbert, who had commit, who's, uh, you know, pre- previously had uh, dipped his toe in, in, in the NBA decision, but, uh, you know, it's going full in now, and uh, this year after, you know, sort of so-so year compared to the one prior that he had when he's playing with Ayo Desumu. But, uh, you know, he's going in ahead, and surprisingly, the player, uh, you know, Oscar Tashwebe, uh, I'm going to get that right, from Kentucky, uh, yeah, the uh, Wooden Award winner, first Wooden Award winner to stay in school since Tyler Hansborough, which is wild. I, I hope he can uh, avoid any other comparisons to Hansborough <laughs> besides that. But uh, he's staying at Kentucky. So uh, I don't know, uh, amongst those three stories in particular, uh, any of those sort of catch, uh, catch y'all, any of those are any particular interest to y'all? Like, like I said, I'm an Illinois, Illinois guy. I follow the program and everything. I think that Kofi is making the, the, the right decision, even though you can argue that he may need some skill, you know, that, they, that he may need some more refinement, but I don't know if he's going to get any better at Champagne. And, you know, he may not, he may be salting away more money if he, exposed himself on that level for another year. That's my opinion. You know, uh, like I said, the story with, with, with the Kentucky kids, of course, is obvious there. But uh, Holmgren knows a lot of people have been anticipating Holmgren. And, uh, you know, I'm 
for him to be the number one pick, you know, I definitely uh, want to see how that plays out and if, if, if there's going to be any other options, anybody else who sort of rivals him uh, going uh, into the draft and everything. But, you know, I'll leave, leave the floor to y'all right quick. I think Paolo was big. Um, I, I yes, think he's, he's, commi- he's committed he's, to he's, the draft, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think he's the prohibitive number one, but I know you will see a lot of debates in the coming weeks between him and Chet having a top spot. Chet, it was a, a guy that I expected to come out. So it, when I saw that, I was kind of like, okay, you know, no big news there. But Oscar, to me, staying is a big deal because, like mm-hmm. you said, the first Wooden Award winner since Hansbro to stay. And Hansbro, if I'm not mistaken, graduated out of North Carolina in 09. So that's been a long time, you know, to yeah. have a guy that um, is the, the reigning Wooden Player of the Year college basketball returning. And I kind of expected that because he has big NIL deals on the table. And if you look at a lot of the mock draft boards, he's really not among the top players. In a lot of draft boards, he's going undrafted. So I can understand why he would want to stay. Um, Kofi, on the other hand, I think it's time. You know, granted, the NIL deals, he could have really raked in a lot of big-time profit at the U of I. He could have put himself in a position to where maybe he could have surpassed Deion Thomas as the all-time leading scorer of the program. Yeah. But when you think about the body of work that he had in Champaign, it was really not too much left to do. He helped resurrect the Illini program and gave them, you know, some solid years of success that they really have not had since the Bill Self and Bruce Weber era. Um, him and Trent Frazier, what they were able to do there. And, yeah, it's time to go to the next level and see what he's made of. And hopefully you you just hope that he improves upon his skill set and expands upon his game so that maybe one day he can have an opportunity to be a contributing role player, if not potentially maybe emerge into becoming a top option on the NBA team at the five spot. Um, but he has his work ahead of him, I think. And I think the combine will be a great opportunity for him to show scouts what he can do on and off the floor. And I and I think too, I think Illinois is they probably wasn't pushing him out the door, but they will I think they're willing to see what they can do without him and sort of reform that that uh, roster that they got. They got some kids coming in, some some real talented kids coming in. Uh, you know, but to have more of an open flow offense, maybe maybe more of an up tempo offense they could stand to have without Kofi now in the mix uh, going forward. So, yeah, Josh, you got any thoughts on those, those guys? I, I agree with the Kofi uh, point um, in that his problem, that the reason why they why he's no longer in Illinois is going to be his problem getting on the floor in the NBA unless he develops some more skills. Yeah. Um, but like you said, it wasn't going to come down in Champagne. He has to go. Even if, you know, the path of the G League is not what it used to be. It's not the the – the wasteland, you know, the, the land of the forgotten that it once was. Now you go in there, you can develop and really become uh, a, a, a solid contributor. Chet interests me because his body type. And I know we said the same thing about KD and KD came and did what he did, but I'm just, I just want to see what it's like to be that wiry. He's a, he's a thin guy. He's got a very thin frame and he's long. So they're going to be able to get into him and leverage is going to be really big for him. So I want to see how well he can actually use, effectively use that size once he gets into the NBA where guys are strong enough and they got enough length to bother it. They don't stop it, but they can, you know, they can, they can disrupt his movements. Um, Paolo to me is, is the number one. He's got the NBA body, the skill set, and the temperament, I think, to want to be that guy. Uh, and so that, that would be my thing. I'd probably go, I would probably go Paolo, Chet, and then, you know, fill out the rest after that. 
But I like you said, Gabe, I understand they're gonna there's gonna be pushing the check because he's a he's a freak. Like the kid is is really crazily built and the numbers that he puts up are insane. And so I mean, you know, it's gonna be a toss-up. It's really gonna be a toss-up, but I would probably go Paolo first too. And, and Gabe, I guess one more thing before we before we uh, wrap up. Now that one that one pick is you know designed to go to Houston at the moment. You know, if if it's Houston making that pick, what would the you know who would you rather have and uh who would you think they would lean more towards? Because you know, I, I know you stay in tune with Houston. Um I, I'll be honest, I stay in tune with them and I've watched them off and on since the, the hard narrative has concluded. But based on what I've been hearing, I, I would expect for Ralph Stone and his front office staff to go with Paolo. Um, I know Paolo is real close with Jalen Green. Both of those guys are West Coast guys. And with Ralph Stone having a background, you know, being from out um, on the West Coast part of the country and bringing in a lot of West Coast talent to Houston, uh, which has been a, a big thing since the Harden era with Jalen Green being a Fresno guy, Kevin Porter coming out of Seattle. I would think that Houston would go either Paolo or Chet with the number one pick. But if they had to go between one and the other, I think they would go with Paolo because they need a wing. And Houston has their big man already with Alperin uh, Sengun, a tremendous young player out of Turkey, who I think once they continue to give him more minutes in the league, you're going to start seeing a lot of people comparing him to Jokic with his skill set, you know, and his ability to pass the ball and shoot and set screens at a high level and, and initiate the offense a little bit, be it out the post or even, you know, Handling the ball a little bit. So I think with 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 the Rockets having their star center of the future in Sangoon, and you have KPJ and Jalen Green in your backcourt, I'm thinking that they're gonna go with Paolo Bancaro as their small forward because that's really mm-hmm. the only true missing piece. And that'll give them a, a front court piece that they can, you know, have a a a, a core um force them to build around. That, that that does look kind of promising there. Yeah, definitely. All right. So, yeah, that's going to be it for now with this episode uh, of Running With War. Again, really appreciate you guys, uh, you know, stopping by and, uh, you know, building with me on this uh, this Thursday. Uh, Josh, man, uh, great to have you on for the first time. And uh, we definitely going to look to have you back on the show uh, sooner than later. Uh, let everybody know how to uh, keep up with what you're doing and uh, where to look for your work. Uh, man, first of all, thank you again for having me. I had a blast. You guys are great. Um, and would love to come back anytime. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Josh Buck. I share everything there. Uh, if you're looking for individual stuff, heavy.com for the bull stuff, uh, uh, soaring down south for the Hawks stuff, and then last run pro football for the bear stuff. So we, we, we're touching everything. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Gabe, man. Uh, I, I, I know you got anything to plug, man, but you know, feel free to the the of course, you know, the the feel free to let everybody know the tag and everything. Oh, yes, sir. Anytime. Um, what Gabe said on Twitter, you know, I'm on Facebook in my name. You can find me on there. Anything that I have going on, I definitely post through there. Um, definitely always a pleasure to be on Cal talking hoops with you guys on running. Um, definitely looking forward to what's going down in the playoffs. Uh, we got a lot of basketball left. Uh, over these next month and a half or so. Yeah, yeah. We'll be back on uh, early uh, next week. 
um, probably Monday or Tuesday, uh, one of those days at least. And uh, I think as long as the Bulls are, are in action, I'll try to do two shows a week. So at least that at least that long, we'll see uh, about keeping up this two show a week schedule. So uh, we'll we'll get uh, you know Drew and all our guys on uh, pretty soon. Uh, you know, re- reacting to what's going on in the playoffs. And um, I said, Golden State, Denver going at it right now. Just started out in Denver. Dallas is up on Utah at half. So we'll let all y'all enjoy the rest of the evening in hoops. But uh, this is the Running With War show. Keep up with us, War Media, at War Media on all platforms. War on Anchor is our uh, page for our our podcast distribution on Anchor.fm. We distribute to all major platform, uh, you know, podcast platforms. So just search War on Anchor and you'll be able to follow us. So War Media on YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube now, just click that button that says subscribe and you'll get uh, notices whenever we plan to go live in the future. We got a lot of great shows going right now. Uh, you know, at bat, our baseball podcast is, is uh, we just started this year. Really check that out. Really nice uh, addition to our lineup. Shout out to Miles Porter and Sal Rodriguez doing that. Uh, we got, uh, of course, Josh didn't join us. To, our guy, Josh Hicks, didn't join us tonight. Uh, we got Josh Buckhart there, but Josh Hicks didn't join us tonight. But he was, uh, he put out a nice addition of In the Scope with Josh Hicks, with uh, Ryan Severini from Channel 7 News here in Chicago. So that's uh, one you would want to check out as well. And, of course, our writing on uh, our Substack War Ready, uh, Josh has a piece up uh, with his predictions for the playoffs. Uh, Drew got a nice piece up. And uh, Drew uh, Drew also is, uh, like I said, we're getting our guys on, on all sorts of TV and stuff. Drew is doing, he did a segment with Larry Hardy from Channel 9 today man so you watch out for that man like i say man you, you want to get on what we're doing man because yeah the, the the price of the brick is not going to be low for too much longer man so you know just just uh you know keep your head to the streets because you know we working out here so that's it for me kyle means for uh uh me uh, means matters you want to follow me on twitter feel free uh i don't care if you do or don't but uh, <laughs> if you want to, that's where I am. And uh, yeah, that's it for now. Peace and blessings, y'all. Keep peaceful out there. Peace in the Middle East. Peace in Ukraine. <laughs> peace everywhere. And uh, in the meantime, keep bouncing. Want to go see your favorite college or pro team? Go to Tick Splits. Tick Splits provides you with the same great seats, but without the service fees. Use promo code WAR and save 5% off on all purchases at TickSplits.com or on the TickSplits app. That's promo code WAR, W-A-R-R, for 5% off on great seats to all of your favorite events. Remember, TickSplits provides you with the same great seats, but without the service fees. That's TickSplits, T-I-X-P-L-I-T-Z.com. Visit today.